Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm PJ Doran. And I'm Dave Selecki. This week on Pit Pass, we'll be talking to Jordan Zoke. But first, here's the latest news in the industry. This weekend, we had round four of uh, AMA FIM Supercross out of Lucas Oil Stadium, Indianapolis, Indiana. And the 450 class was a barn burner, man. It was awesome. Ken Roxon comes home with the wind. Uh, it wasn't easy. Tomac came out to an early lead, but uh, he gave it up. He slid out in a corner, and Roxon took it home and uh, just looked strong all night. He was he was definitely the fastest guy on the track, followed by Tomac, who finished second. And the sneaky guy, the guy who's probably someone you really want to keep an eye on, Cooper Webb, finished third overall and uh, just looked strong and uh, made a pass late in the race to come up third. That's the finishing order. So your points standing in the 450 class so far after four rounds is Ken Roxon leads with 86 points, followed by Cooper Webb with 80, and Tomac, the defending champ, in third with 77 points. So uh, we look forward to round five coming up. In 250 East action, we saw Colt Nichols just absolutely dominate, pulls a whole shot and checks out. He just looks strong all night. He's just been a sleeper. Nobody really expected him to show up, and uh, he's been strong. Second overall was Michael Moseman, followed by Joe Shimoda. Good to see a pro circuit bike on the podium in third overall. So far for your 250 East standings, we have uh, Colt Nichols leading now. He's going to have the red plate with 96 points, followed by Kristen Craig, who had a late moto crash with Jet Lawrence. Pretty unfortunate. Uh, he ended up fifth for the night, but uh, he's sitting in second for the season with 88 points, followed by Jet Lawrence, who has 83 points for third in the standings. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. And in that 450 final, Tomac with the early lead gives it away. Roxon with the late lead tried to give it away as well. 
Osborne. How about Osborne from dead last all the way to fifth? I mean, what a ride. That guy, uh, definitely don't write him off for the season yet either. I never would. I always say he's the guy to keep an eye on because he just he just got so much heart. You know, he puts everything out on the track every night. And like you said, to, to charge from, uh, I don't know if you saw the start, but he actually got stuck, stuck in the gate, caught his front wheel. He was the last guy into the first turn and ends up uh, fifth overall. That's just amazing to go through that kind of talent in the course of 20 minutes and end up fifth. Yeah, and he he really looked like he was making a run for the podium. I wouldn't have been surprised by it. I think he probably just used all the gas he had in the tank by the time he got to that top five because he was coming hard. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is, what motorcycle manufacturer produced and competed with an internal combustion piston engine that had long, oval-shaped pistons with two connecting rods and eight-valve combustion chambers? We'll be back with that answer after we talk to Jordan Zoak. Welcome to Pit Pass today, one super fast racer by the name of Jordan Zoke, Canadian, our neighbor to the north. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be there, that's for sure. Uh, probably some different weather up here than what you're experiencing down there. <laughs> well, we're actually, I'm in the Midwest and my cohort, Dave, is uh, in Ohio, so we definitely are not out of the snow belt, if you will, but you're getting getting a blast of the northern stuff right now, are you? Yeah, we. Yeah, it's funny. Um, everybody thinks Canada, and they maybe watching some old Bob and Doug uh, shows where it's a Great White North. But uh, in our area, it's not so bad. Uh, you know, for the weather, actually, I've stood at uh, in Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, and we had like maybe three inches of snow. And Buffalo is in a state of emergency with like eight feet of snow, and the military is there. It all depends on how it comes off the lake. But what's cool about where we are we don't get a lot of snow in our area, but the ice is really good. So right now, um, today in the shop, I'm working on the ice bikes and we do a ton of ice racing up here. So it's, it's really fun. That is one form of racing that I have not done enough of. When I lived in uh, Minnesota, I got to try it out a little bit and it's, I know it's a rite of winter for a lot of guys, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, the northern states. I wish I had done more, Jordan. Are, are you doing like the the races that essentially have carved out road courses where you get to go both ways or more the oval type flat track stuff? Well, I did oval when I was a kid. And then as soon as they started developing the right and left tires, I haven't done an oval in 20 years. Build a little oval if someone wants one, but it's just way too much fun to have a left and right course. And then you can basically, you got a, a lake or a pond or wherever we are, you have like a clean slate. So you can make any corner that your mind can think of. Sometimes you're trying to replicate like a corner on a racetrack that you like, or sometimes you're just like building a huge, what we call snail shell. And then you got to like unwind yourself from it, you know, and, uh, Every day, it's like a, a blank canvas to me to, to build a, a track. I build most of the tracks in our area, and uh, super fun and not too cold. You know, like Minnesota can get cold. Quebec uh, gets really cold. We're lucky here in Canadian terms. 
usually between you know minus two and minus fifteen. It's not ever really any colder than that here, so it's not too bad. And and on the new bikes, being electric start, you know we run heated grips. You're not really that cold, to be honest with you. Once you get used to the climate. How about what you're up to this coming racing season, Jordan? You've got what is arguably one of the most diverse backgrounds. You are a perennial. You've been road racing forever. Your name, I've been well aware of who you are as a road racer. I'm older than you. I've been an amateur road racer myself uh, with the Wera organization. It's where I know you probably have run at least one or two. And I remember you coming to America. And uh, what was your experience coming to racing the AMA like? Is that just one-off stuff? Or did you ever make a full season of it? So I raced, uh, you know, a lot of the weirdest stuff with Nikki Hayden and Tommy and the, and the guys. Uh, we all grew up through that, you know, racing 250s. And then uh, Tommy got a ride at, you know, on Superbike. And then I got a factory ride on Ducati for 98. And it was fast by Fracci. I rode for them uh, in 98 in, in the U.S. And then 2001, I rode for the, the last year Harley raced. I rode for them. And then 2002 and three, uh, I rode for Suzuki, Corona Suzuki in the U.S. You know, in 2001, I was two planes behind the one that flew into the uh, World Trade Centers, unfortunately. Uh, we were lucky. We were forced emergency landed in Omaha because they thought maybe we were one of the ones going to crash into LAX. And then uh, the following year, you know, I was leading the Superstock Championship two rounds in, finished second at Daytona and third at Fontana. And it was Ben Spees, myself, Tommy Hayden were real close for the championship. Jimmy Moore was there. It was only two races in, but because of the issues, obviously, with uh, the terrorist attack the year before, the border stuff became very funny. All my paperwork wasn't completed properly, and they put a ban on me for the year. So I lost out on that championship, unfortunately. I've been racing in the U.S., you know, on and off most of my career. And uh, at the time, in the 2000s, I got brought back, lured back to Canada with some good money to, to compete here. Uh, it was it was crazy what kind of money they were spending here in the, at the time and obviously in the U.S. as well. Well, that's uh, exactly what we needed to know you were have been an impressive racer and sadly it sounds like beyond the the events of september 11th back then it was probably the sad unfolding of the motorcycle industry in 08 that coincided with some economic events that probably really um, impacted the course of your future would you say that's fair or not jordan yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Canada is no different than the U.S. Like, we're pretty much the same boat. We're, we're, we're sailing together, really, you know, a lot, in a lot of ways. So when the economy really crashed, it was the same for us here. You know, American Canadian companies, you know, we all have factories on each side of the border. So anything that happens kind of between the two of us is, is detrimental, right? So way smaller sales number than the U.S. too. So when something like that happens, it really affects the Canadian side. And since 2009, the last good year here, it's been a struggle just to make it to the racetrack. And, you know, I've dug myself quite a financial hole over the last three or four years, just trying to still ride because I love doing it and, and really enjoying it. You know, this year, sad that we don't get to go do the, the races in Australia. I'm actually on the American team with Josh Hayes and 
Pegram and Pridmore and all the guys I grew up with, right? So it's it it's really super fun, and you get the ride Philip Island, which is one of the best trucks in the world. But you know that's been canceled now because of the COVID, and yeah, it's a bit of a tough time uh, for sure. For I'm um, even in the U.S. for everybody trying to do what we love to do, right? No doubt about it. It has been uh, tribulations for one and all in the motorcycle industry, racers, team owners, tracks, track owners, promoters. We're all in this together and we're all hoping for brighter days. Moto America here in the U.S. continues to put on an incredibly good show, giving guys the chance to showcase their abilities. And I'm sure your Canadian uh, series is doing the same. It sounds like, Jordan, how has it been uh, post-COVID for you guys? Well, the series and myself were sponsored by uh, Mopar. And two things with Mopar, obviously, when the COVID lockdown hit, which I know it varies state to state down there, but Canada's a little more uniform where we were all kind of locked down and uh, affected that quite dramatically the series lost its title sponsor i lost my title sponsor one of the reasons outside of covid is chrysler is owned by fiat well fiat and fujo are merging so they've kind of put a hold on any spending while that merger happens so the numbers look good it put a little dent in our program because of that but the series went forward did four races last year and they were all on tv and then this year they're planning to have 10 right now. They got eight confirmed all on TV. So yeah, hopefully at one point the spectators can come back as well. Right. As a spectator. Yes. I couldn't agree more. It is the part of racing that was really uh, sadly missing last year. We got to watch some incredibly good race and road racing. We're seeing off-road racing, supercross, every kind of racing is happening, but not being able to attend it, you know, we need to be able to do that. Uh, you, the racer, understand that as as a spectator as well. It's just so important and really brings home the point of how incredibly talented the guys on the track are. Yeah, and, and you know, like uh, in Canada, one of the tough things is, you know, our our season, depending on where you are in Canada, but our season is short, so the tracks need to make their money in a certain time of year. Not being able, you know, like Mossport or Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, they bring in 35,000 people just to our race, right? So it's a big revenue for them. And, you know, I feel bad for them as well. You know, they, they need to keep their tracks alive. Jordan, I'm kind of curious with uh, what you said about racing and, and sponsorship, but uh, what do you see in Canada as far as the industry with COVID? Is it is it uh, kind of taken off or surged in your mind as far as uh, bike sales and those kind of things? Yeah, it's nuts. As you know, if you follow me at all or anybody follows me, I'm, I'm a very successful uh, bicycle racer as well. So I'm uh, in, you know, in with the bicycle community. It doesn't matter whether it's a $2,000 bicycle or a $15,000 bicycle, you can't get one. And the motorcycle industry is the same. It just, there's nothing. All the ZX10s, the new ones that they brought in are sold. You know, motorcycle Cycle sales have always been a little bit lower on the sport bike side since the late 2000s, but we're seeing a bit of an uprise in that. But it's mainly the kids' bikes. Uh, I've been waiting almost eight months for Cali to give me a, or sell me a kids' bike for when I'm out dirt biking so I can teach the kids instead of riding my 450 around. You can't get anything. There, you have to pre everything's pre-sold. Any bicycle stuff's pre-sold till like almost next year now. 
it's crazy. Uh, I know that like you can't get tubes, you can't get jeans, rockets. It's a bit crazy uh, right now, and hopefully it's not just the COVID thing. Hopefully it continues, right? I think it's great for the industry just to see that kind of demand, but it's uh, we've talked about this before. It's put, I think, really huge strains on that supply chain, both from the manufacturer side and the aftermarket side, where you need, like you said, chains, sprockets, helmets, whatever getting those to the end users at the same time as trying to get motorcycles. I went through the same thing trying to buy a, a small Kawasaki trail bike. I had to wait. And honestly, you you will pay retail at this point in time. There's there's no discounting going on. No, no. Like the Even the used stuff has gone through the roof here. And, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with the dealers. You know, I've been at this so long. I know dealers across the, both our country and your country. And you know, I'm, one dealer told me he ordered in July last year, he ordered 80 bikes to restock his showroom. And they told me he could have 18 and he got four, right? So I know it's uh, the supply is uh, quite tough and everything just kind of, some of the rules are very good. Some of the rules are kind of silly, but the COVID thing, like ship leaves the port, but it takes twice as long for it to get here for some reason. So I know that that was, we were expecting to have our super bike. In early December, I just got one of them the other day because of shipping problems. So it, it just takes time. And, uh, you know, hopefully the customers don't get discouraged and are patient to get their new toys and, and they continue to, to buy them. And then, you know, the industry starts to, or the economy starts to turn around and open back up, then hopefully it'll be like a snowball that just keeps rolling, you know? So, Jordan, I find it incredibly interesting that you are so deeply involved in observed trials, motorcycle road racers, off-road racers uh, that we talk to routinely. Observed trials is definitely the lowest percentage of riders that we talk to that have an, not only an involvement, but clearly an aptitude and uh, towards excellence that you have exhibited. How'd you get there? How did that become the thing that, uh, that caught your attention and, and then you really put your mind to? Yeah. I mean, I love trials. I, I really, really do. Um, I'm more into that than anything. Like, my heart is real racing. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love trials mainly because I think I suck and there's so many people that are better than me. So I'm always intrigued by it. And I'm fortunate enough to be friends, you know, with Tony Boo and Adam Raga and Jeff Aaron in the U.S. You know, I, I, I have made these connections. So it's cool to, to be friends with the guys that are so good. And then I can ask them a question that I might have or something. When you're a kid, right, you can't road race uh, until you're a little bit bigger. So you start off somewhere. You know, my dad was an ice racer, and my dad was a road racer, and he was a trials rider. That's how I, I got into it. You know, I got sitting right now beside my TY80 in my office here that I started riding when I was uh, six years old. And it just always stayed with it. Trials is the best thing you can do to be any kind of motorcycle. So even a guy riding down the street. It teaches you control of the brake, clutch, and throttle. And I really believe I translate, transferred a lot of that over to my road racing and just being precise, being smooth, and, uh, you know, help, by, help me not to crash as much as maybe some of the other guys. The cool thing about trials is, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian champion. My wife is not. My son is not, obviously. He's only nine years old. But with trials, we can all go out and ride together. Where if we went on a road race track, uh, we can't ride together. You know, even on a dirt bike track, we can't ride together. 
sure we can go out at the same time, but trials, you can play in the same area together and talk and laugh. So to me, it's a really good family sport as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jordan. That's one of those uh, things about trials is uh, I always say, if you think you know how to ride a motorcycle, jump on a trials bike and I'll prove you wrong. It's just amazing to watch the guys who do it well and the, and the ladies that do it well. I'm kind of curious about the uh, the freestyle show that you do with the trials bikes and, and how that came about and what type of uh, riders you, you've incorporated into the show. Yeah, obviously trials, I'm into it, obviously. You're, you're into it, you guys have respect for it. Not everybody's into it because it is a, it can be a little boring if you don't understand what's going on, right? So, you know, we've done trials demonstrations our whole life at events and things, and I, I really tried to grow it to a bigger thing by building it into our freestyle shows. So we have, I have freestyle ramps. We manage uh, shows all over. We work with Johnny FMX and uh, some of the guys in the US as well. They come up and do stuff with us. We always try to incorporate, if we if they have the budget, not just a freestyle moto show, we incorporate trials. And then you bounce back and forth and you play off one another. And you can put the obstacles up between the ramps and it looks really cool. And we'll do that with sport bike stunting as well. We'll add some, we try to do trials in sport bike or trials in freestyle or even sport bike and freestyle uh, and build a really cool, exciting show for people. It helps the trials, you know, because like I said, my heart's with trials and as well, and I like to see it grow. Just try to make it more appealing and more exciting to people that don't understand it, right? That is exactly what trials needs at all times. It needs a shot in the arm. I'm a huge fan. I watch it all the time. It's some of the best are the world championships from that discipline. Jordan, as we're running out of time, sadly, it's been wonderful talking to you. You've been around... Uh, the racetracks that I've been around for a long, long time. It's good to finally talk to you, and we look forward to talking to you again. Hopefully your Canadian Superbike season goes off without a hitch, and you're able to defend uh, your long-standing title. Is there anybody you'd like to thank as we uh, wrap up here on Pit Pass? Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, like, you know, thanks to you guys, first off, you know, for having me on, and you know, I look forward to continuing for a little bit longer. I don't think I'll ever retire but I will stop from chasing championships, but I'll never stop from doing select events around the world. You know, I'll always be riding something, but you know, I got another year or two left in me and hopefully we can get a couple more championships. You know, obviously I like to thank, you know, all the sponsors that have really stuck with me through these tough COVID times and Kawasaki, you know, with their new uh, X10 or ZX10, it'll be awesome to try and defend the, the championship with that. And uh, keep it rolling, man. Thank you to our guest, Jordan Zoke. And this week's Pit Pass trivia question was, what motorcycle manufacturer produced and competed with an internal combustion piston engine that had long oval-shaped pistons with two connecting rods and eight valve combustion chambers? The answer, of course, is the one and only Honda NR500 and NR750 that were four-cylinder oval-shaped piston engines that used eight-valve combustion chambers. One of a kind, really, right, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Those were definitely unique motorcycles, and uh, I think you've said in the past that was Honda flexing its muscles and pretty much inventing an engine just to go four-stroke racing against the two-stroke engines back in the 1980s. And they did it very well until it was outlawed, of course. 
Yes, it was eventually. They did take that motorcycle into production in 1992. They produced an NR750. They produced about 300 bikes, sold them for, oh, a small amount of $50,000 a piece. They were quite the uh, motorcycle to own, and they're extremely rare these days. What do we got for upcoming news, Dave, in the world of off-road? We have coming up this uh, this week, actually, uh, continued Supercross in Indy. We've got round five, which takes place February 2nd, followed by round six, which is February 6th. That's this Saturday. And then they leave Indianapolis and they head to Orlando, which is actually the opening round for Supercross 250 West. And that'll be February 13th through the 20th. Thank you again to Jordan Zilk for joining us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave. And I'm PJ. And we'll see you next week. Don't forget to wash your hands. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.